There's Smith. Corbin's going to let fly. Once again, the crowded penalty area. And there's a great shot, Michael. Season 1972-73 got off to a tricky start for Kilmarnock. A heavy defeat away to Celtic and home losses to Ayr and East Fife. Next up, Rangers. Any fears of another disappointing 90 minutes were assuaged as an Eddie Morrison double stunned the Glasgow team. In this episode of the Killy Histories Big Match series, I speak with creative midfielder Gordon Smith about the upset of September 72, his role in a 6-1 thumping of Ayr, and the weight of his famous Kilmarnock surname. And so much more besides. First, that match against Rangers. I'm Gordon Gillen, and this is Gordon Smith's Big Match. it was a bit of a kind of a sticky start so did you surprise yourselves winning that game I think we did I think it was it was pretty amazing because we just we were out there and, and as I say we didn't hadn't had the best of starts it was, a, it was a new team to a certain degree I mean there was other guys that played regularly Eddie Morrison was playing Jimmy White right back was in the team and uh, obviously in terms of Ayrshire boys it was also Brian Rodman and George Maxwell were in that team they were the two centre-backs that day so you know it was it was great we had, we had, as I say six Ayrshire boys in the team as well from that from boys that come through the system and we'd already lost heavily to Celtic at, uh, at Hamden Park because Celtic Park was getting done up so my, my league debut was against Celtic and we got ha- absolutely hammered in the game and I always remember it I think I'm pretty sure we were either 3-0 or 4-0 down before I got my first touch of the ball that day <laughs> that's, how, that's how bad we were on the day but I kept myself in the team and I, was, I remained regular from that moment on some people said to me, you've been in the team for a little while, then you get left out because you're just a kid. My own uh, ambition meant that I, I wanted to stay in that team. There's no way I wanted to be left out. I wanted to play on a regular basis. So I was really fired up in, in every single week in order to put in the best performance I could. For me, it was, it was the buzz of the, the crowd, a big crowd that day playing in front of Ro- Robbie Park. I'd never played in front of a big crowd like that at Robbie Park. I'd been at games, watching games, but I hadn't played in front of that. So there was a buzz about it. And I think there was just a... It was such a positive feeling. I always remember getting into the game. There was no fear 
from us to think we're all oh, this is going to be a, a nightmare today so it's going to be really tough there was a kind of belief in us and I think maybe because it was new players coming in as well that helped that and we just thought well, like, like, let's go and enjoy ourselves today I certainly did I did enjoy it because I say it was, I was up against people like Alec McDonald you know and people like that and, and you know and they say in the midfield mm. Alfie Conn people who were who had made a, a big reputation but I didn't feel secondary to it at all either I just felt I can compete here and I felt I, I was I felt I had a good game that day and, and but most of the team did and, and I was really chuffed when we went home that night and my dad was like delighted obviously with the, with the win and everything first win I've had in the league as, as a player so it, it was a big big win for us and as I say I think that um, you know taking it forward obviously we, we did have a very tough season that season it must have been hard, just maybe slightly digressing from the Rangers game just for a second, but the style of player that you were, in terms of perception being tall and, and slight at the time, did you have to go the extra mile to impress people? Yes, I, I think I did. I'll tell you why. Uh, also, uh, Scottish football, and I was playing midfield, and I wasn't a tackler. I was, as you say, I was quite slim in that respect. I was about, I was about at that time, I was probably about uh, just under six foot, and uh, I was about... I think about maybe even about ten stone, ten stone two. So I was, I was thin. So I had to rely on ability, and that's why I was quite pleased in the respect that I got a chance to, to play. I was playing midfield basically because of what I had to offer in terms of just obviously my passing ability, and I could beat players, things like that. So I was playing in the middle of the midfield at that time, and I was happy to do that and be in that team and surrounded, uh, as I say, by good professionals round about me who were a help to me, and uh, I just felt. As I say, I was very, very ambitious to, to be a player. As I say, I wasn't a tackler at all. And normally in Scottish football, tacklers are what they want first in the midfield rather than playmakers. So I was delighted to be getting a game. Who did, who did the dirty work for you? Uh, well, it was a few people. Uh, Jim McSherry was probably the, the, the lad who did all the kind of tackling and, and harrying and people and, 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 and that sort of thing. So he was a, the type of guy who did that. Uh, you know, George Back Maxwell at times was a tackler. He was a, 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 that kind of player, more more of a defensive type midfield player. Where I was an attacking midfield player, so I, I was like, you know, relying on other. But it's like every other football team. I've always said this, and it's always been something that I've, I've illustrated every time I've been speaking about it. A football team is a is a variety of player. It's different types of player that required. No one can you can't compare and say they're all the same because everybody has to be able to do their job, and everybody has to actually offer something different. So. I was quite pleased. The fact that I was getting a game every week meant that the manager felt I had something to offer other than what other people could, which was the basically the aggressive side, the tackling side. I wasn't offering that, so I'm quite pleased that it must have meant that my football side stood up to to the you know the questions that were asked, and, and that's why I was getting a game at that age. You're talking about that highly skillful style. In fact, I've been speaking with Jimmy Cook as well to quote him, a highly skillful player. Did you receive any atten- attention that you thought was a bit much? I think I think that in those days, yeah, the people were out to to get you. There's no doubt about it. It's quite funny. You look back and and, and I laugh at these days when people say you know the players, a lot of players uh, go down and they cheat so often and, and they overreact to tackles. Another day, it was exactly the opposite. You actually tried to pretend you weren't hurt. Another day, you didn't want your opponent to see you got you. But there was also a situation another day that the first tackle was almost like a freebie. So it was amazing. More so when I went on to play in the wing. The fullback you were playing against had one challenge to get you, the first one to try and injure you or put you off or frighten you a little bit, and that always happened. So I, I was well, I was well prepared for that. I was, although I wasn't a tackler in that, that respect, 
I was used to it all, all through the time I'd come through in the game and I was used to getting tackled. And it was nice of Jimmy Cook to say that about me because I started at Kilmarnock. I was very, very lucky because what happened was when I signed the schoolboy form, I had a chance to go to Rangers, Celtic and Kilmarnock. My dad said Kilmarnock and I said, well, because you're a fan. And he went, no, you've got more of a chance there. And if you do well, big teams will come back in for you. That's what he said to me. Now, what happened was because of that, I was 14 years of age when I started training with the Kilmarnock first team because we were full-time at the time. And I was brought in uh, to train alongside the guys like Jimmy Cook, Tommy McLean, Jim McLean was even a player, Frank Beattie, Jack McGrory, Andy King. These, these guys were all at the club as players and I was training, doing a full training session with them. And that was included running, doing all this, the ball work, everything. So I was treated like a, a professional player, a man basically from the age of 14. So I think that's why when I got when I was 17, because I'd been used to being involved with all the older players and that experienced players, I felt I could cope easily with it because it wasn't as if I'd come from boys' football into men's football. I was 14, good doing it. It was amazing because, as I say, these guys were all players that I'd been used to going to watch playing and they were all stars, heroes of the club. And there was I, uh, part of it. And as I say, they treated me really, really well. I mean, I had no problem whatsoever about it. They were all like, really nice and uh, they were very complimentary at times you know, and, and, and you got criticism if you needed it because but that criticism is also helpful because you learn the game from being criticised at times because you have to say you shouldn't be doing that this is what you should be doing and that's why I'm a great believer in it and I'm, I'm totally against the youth uh, coach type of idea I'm very much in favour of young players playing against men alongside men because in that way you come on quicker you learn more so I also developed Fitness-wise, was unbelievable. I did the pre-season training with Kamana, and, and and then after that, I was in every week with them training with the, the evening ones with the part-time players. And then, you know, the funny thing was at school, I went in for the school sports, and and I won easily won the school sports championships. Uh, you know, because I was so fit, the level of, of fitness and even strength that I got from those days building me up because I was skinny to start with. I was a wee thin boy. And then what happened was then, because of the training I got, I realised that I had to strengthen in order to play at that level. So a lot of these things were so helpful. And that's why at 16 I was in the reserve team, and by 17 I'd made the first team. Gordon, can you give me a little insight, please? And this is maybe for people who are more familiar with the training regimes players have at the moment. You're talking about the physical development uh, being so crucial there. You, How would you describe the training, the physical side versus the technical side? Well, there was definitely a side of things that in those days, and, it, and I agree with it, Walter McCree was the manager. What they did was they had an idea that you had to be as fit as you could possibly be. And I, I agree with that totally. We used to do really hard training sessions. But the track at Kilmarnock, as you know, and we used to do a loads of things there on the track of doing 200 metres, 400 laps, you know, all that sort of stuff. Then when all that finished, when the training session was finished, which was really always very, very tough, we did also things like our... our chest jumps and, and press-ups and all that sort of thing as well. We did a full session like that on the track and then we would go around to the uh, the training pitch, which nowadays is a car park, and then we would do the ball work and then finish with a game. Now, the ball work, there was one, there was one great exercise, which I, I, I look back and I'll, I talk to people about this. We used to do one called thump control. You can ask some of the older players when you get them on next time to ask them about this. And what happened was you went into, uh, there was four cones in a small area and you stood in there and all the, all the players fired the ball at you as hard as they could. And you had to control the ball inside the four cones that were played to you. Maybe only about a, a, a yard and a half each way, four, a little square. And you had to control it. And if you didn't control it in there, you then had to do like press-ups or chest jumps or whatever as punishment. You know, I was, I was doing that at 14 with senior pros. 
fan the ball at me and people like George Maxwell yep. who were the great striker of a ball you know you had to be able to control it and I felt what a difference it made over over time I could tell that my control was really good and I always remember when I was down at Brighton we were doing an exercise one day and, and a few of the players said to me your, your control is really really good you, you, you control the ball so tight to yourself and I said that was because of all the practice I got at Kilmarnock when I was young and with your involvement in the game for, for, for many years if you forgive me for saying but in so many different capacities yeah. And yet you look back on that with an unchanged opinion that that was very much, yes. very key, very key much, to your development. The right way. Yeah, I think it's key to development. I really do. I know what happens a lot of times with coaching and training and all that is people have to come out with new ideas. And you know, and, and, and they do that because they think, well, I'm going to be different from the way things have been done. But I think there was a lot of things were getting done correctly in those days. I mean, I've, I've seen it. I've been at football clubs since then and watched sometimes the training and, and what they call... Uh, I remember, you know, even one day when I was in at Rangers as the director of football, Ali McCoy, the manager, said, I'm giving the players a really hard session today because they're off tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. And I watched it. I watched it out of the window of my office and I thought, I could do that now, that session, you know? And I was like in my 50s yep. thinking, I could I could do what they're, what they're calling a hard session. So I, the training's not as hard to be. There's no question of that, that we used to do an awful lot of running and everybody had to do it at the same level. And, you know, some people struggled with it, others don't. But whether it's long-distance running or it's uphills or it's sprints, it was so good. And as I say, I don't think there was anything wrong with the fact that it develops you physically because in, in order to play at your best, I believe you have to also be at your fittest. I was assistant manager at St Mun for a little while and what I did was brought in testing then to just to check the players' physicality, just to check and see how their fitness levels were. And the manager at the time, Tony Fitzpatrick, was quite shocked about the fact that some of the players didn't stand up at all to the to the fitness level they should have had in terms of playing at that level. So I'm a great believer in testing, and we were ahead of the game in that respect in, in terms of doing that. So I, I do believe that there's no doubt about it that the, you know the best teams are generally the ones that also have a, a very high fitness level. You are well known for coming from well, a famous fat famous family with your grandfather winning the Scottish Cup. But even just talking about your own father there, is there an added pressure when you're a player and your family is rooting for not just you, but for the team as well? Yeah, because, you know, my dad was a big fan and, and the very fact is I was having to follow my grandpa. Now, that was very difficult. I never ever met him. He was dead before I was born. But, I, you know, I was brought up, my dad talking about him and all that, and what he'd done. And then you see the achievement. I mean, even to this day, my grandpa's the only player who's won two trophies for Kilmarnock. There's won five trophies in the history, and he's still the only player who's won two of them. So I think that that was a big, a hard thing to follow. He was captain when they won it in uh, 1929. So as I say, it was not easy, you know, having to follow on from from having a famous, uh, you know, grandparent. And obviously my, my name as well, because my father was a big football fan, and he named my brother after my grandfather. My older brother Matt is named after him, and then uh, I was the next one born, so I was named after Gordon Smith, who was a famous player for Hibs and Hearts at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I got a kind of football name, and that, that kind of obviously got me a bit of attention because every time I used to get mentioned at that, even at that age, it was a boy with a famous name and all that sort of thing. So it puts, it puts a little bit of pressure on you, but see, to be honest with you, I think if you can't deal with the pressure, don't do it. Don't play. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a big factor. I think that everybody says they're nervous and all that. I think I don't think. You should be nervous. I was never nervous as such. I was always fired up and, and desperate to go. So even although I, you know my, my dad was going to be judging me when I got home and all that sort of thing, I, I just felt I never felt really uh, frightened or, or, or nervous about a game. It, it seems strange now, Gordon, because I look back now and uh, I won the league the week before, and yet 
the cup final was a bigger day for me at the time because I wanted to emulate what my grandfather had done to win the, to win the cup. So I look back now and I think, well, winning the league is actually better. But uh, it was just a thrill for me to win the Scottish Cup and, and, and actually you know achieve what he'd achieved. And I think that's something that it's it's quite a, a symbolic picture, the picture of your, your grandfather. And I th- I'm pretty sure he's wearing he'll be wearing the shirt and tie, and he's on the shoulders lifting up the Scottish Cup. It's it's an iconic moment in the club history. Oh, it definitely is, you know. And it was it was quite funny. I, I mean, I, I didn't realise a few years ago that the Hamden Museum did uh, wanted to do wanted more shirts, and I gave them my grandpa's shirt and mine from the '79 Cup final because what happened was that I was I wasn't quite aware of it at the time that I won the cup again the next year for Rangers. In 1979, and then realising that the Hamden Museum are saying, you know, you and your grandpa won the cup 50 years apart. It's a 50 year anniversary, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'd forgotten that it was 50 years. So I gave them the two shirts and they did a little display in the Hamden Museum of the two of us together with the two shirts, my shirt from Rangers win and his from the Commander Day. So it's amazing. But as I say, I've, I've, I have mentioned it before that you know, there's no doubt about it, winning the cup for Commander is a greater achievement than winning the cup with Rangers. There's no doubt because. It's happened very seldom. It's three times in Commander's history, whereas a lot of players have won the cup at Rangers. So it's, it takes it away slightly from that. In October 1973, after a disappointing start to life in Division 2, Kilmarnock turned to a new manager, Willie Fernie. I asked Gordon Smith if the attack-focused style and managerial approach suited him. He came in as a manager. Now, Davies Sneddon had been the caretaker at the very start of the season, and uh, I was hoping Davy Sneddon would get the job because I, I had a great admiration for him. I thought he was tremendous in terms of his football knowledge. He'd been a great help to me as a younger player in terms of his advice and everything. So I was hoping he'd get the job, but he didn't. And Willie Fernie was appointed. But the first, the first game, I think Willie Fernie must have come to watch before he get when he had already got the job. Davy Sneddon said to me. Uh, I'm, play- I'm putting you in the left side today, just the left side of midfield, OK? And I was like, fine, OK. So, but then, well, I didn't know Willie Fernie was coming in. The next four or five games, I was playing on the left side, uh, in a left winger. So I went to see Willie Fernie and I said, excuse me. I said, you're playing me in the left side. I said, he went, yeah, what's the problem? I said, I'm, I'm a centre midfield player. That's where I normally play. Mm. And you put me in the left wing. And he went, I need to, I need to put you there, Gordon, because you're left-footed. I need, I need a left-footed player on the left side. I went, I'm not left-footed, I'm right-footed. And he went, no, you're not. And I thought, wait a minute. And now I look back that it was a compliment, right? But at the time I'm going, there's somebody arguing with me that, that he's arguing, disagreeing with me about what foot I kicked the ball with. Now, I was, I was generally two-footed because I did work at it a lot when I was a little kid. I worked in my other foot, my left foot, to make sure that I was two-footed. And, you know, and it turned out I could cross the ball, which I did a lot from the left side. And I made a lot of goals for Eddie Morris and Ian Fleming with crosses with my left foot. But... I, was, I couldn't believe it. He, he said, no, you're playing there. So from then on, actually, what happened was I was left winger in the club for the next four seasons until I left the club. And I, I started my first season, I was centre midfield, and then all of a sudden I was a left winger. Now, it worked out quite well because that season, as you say, we, we, the first season there with we, promotion, uh, I think Eddie Morrison and Ian Fleming scored a lot of goals that season. I think I scored about 11 myself, actually. I think I was the top scorer. But it was a, it was a cracking team and we were we stormed through that, that division and, and did really well. You came quite close to a cup final at Hamden as well. We did, and it was what was annoying about it, and it's one of my biggest disappointments in my time to come out. Probably maybe the biggest disappointment because we were in a semi-final at Hamden Park and uh, Dundee beat us 1-0. But the thing was, we actually scored that night and had a goal disallowed. And then speaking to people later on, 
uh, that, that were actually there. That, you know, when, when it attached to command, I thought other people who were neutral at the game said that their goal it was disallowed. I think it was uh, Eddie Morrison scored and it was disallowed. And they said it was a bad decision. It was a wrong decision. So that would have been put us back in the game. And then we could have won it. And then, you know, Dundee actually won the League Cup as well. So they went on to win it. So, I mean, I was thinking to myself, I could have been 18 years of age, whatever, playing their cup final and it didn't get there. And then when you find out that you've had been, uh, you know, robbed of it because of a bad decision, it was very annoying. So we had a very good run in, in the League Cup that year. You're absolutely right. When you get to a semi-final at Hamden, do you think, well, there'll be more? Or do you think that was a big, big chance? I think I think you tend to think you know when you're playing for Kilmarnock you think this is a big chance because you know for a fact the club had been in two cup finals and that was it when we when that when that game came on I mean they've won two cups since then but at that time they'd only been in two finals and the previous one had been 1929 so you know they'd, they'd lost in some finals to be fair but you wanted to win a cup they'd never won the league cup either so that that was a major disappointment because you're thinking how many chances am I going to get to play. In a cup final with Kilmarnock, like, many chances we're going to get to win the League Cup that they've never won before. So that was a major disappointment for me. We just had to come back up. There was no doubt about that. We all had the belief that we could. We just felt we, we felt we were a bit unlucky to be relegated, actually, because we, we didn't. We, we we lost quite a few games when we we weren't playing that badly. So we did feel that you know we, with the with the squad we've got, we can come back up. Players were getting more mature, players were getting better. So we, we did feel confident that we'd come back. So, But you're, you're under pressure, I mean, because you've got to be... There's a situation where the fans that are... Uh, every club's the same. The fans just want the best they can get from their team. So that, that is a big factor that, you know, you're expected to do well. And we came back. As I say, I was a little bit disappointed at first to be playing left-winger because, as I say, I, I felt I had more to offer. Uh, through the middle. I mean, I'll be honest with you, tell you another story about it. I mean, a bit later on, I always remember we played uh, against Stenhouse Muir in a cup match and uh, I uh, I made a run. I ran, I ran from in from the left wing. Davy Proven played me in and I scored and we won one nil and went through. And the Tuesday night after that, Davy uh, Willie Fernley said to me, Gordon, uh, he says, see your goal on Saturday. I went, yeah. And he goes, I, I don't want you doing that. I said, you don't want me scoring the winning goal in a cup game? And he goes, no, no, I don't want you making that run. He says, you're the left winger. You you stay out in your wing. That's your job to stay out there. I went, but if I see an opening and I make a run and no, I'm not picked up, David Proben played me in because I was free player and I've scored. And we put it through. He goes, no, no, that's not, I don't want you doing that. And I thought to myself, oh, I couldn't believe it, you know. And, and, and I say I did have difficulties with Willie Fernie as the man. So there's no question of it. I wasn't, you know, I was happy to go every week. I, 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 I didn't feel I was playing for him and that was the main thing about it. When I'm playing football, I'm playing to do the best I can possibly do and it's my own reputation and for the club as such. But, uh, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't go on really great with, with Willie Fernley, that's for sure. He had very much an attacking style and uh, he did, I mean, I didn't mind it too much because of an attacking player. They meant you were always getting forward. I mean, as, some, as I say, one of the time when I was at Brighton, what uh, brought in um, Alan Mullery left and he brought in uh, Mike Bailey as a manager. He was very, very defensive. Everything he concentrated on was just defending all the time. And he even said before games, nil uh, nil will do me today, right? So that was, I thought, I don't want to play like that. I want to attack. So to a certain degree, I, I didn't really go against it in terms of Willie Fernie wanting to play that way in matches. But the fact, fact was, I think we did suffer a little bit because we were we were very adventurous and some teams managed to catch us out because of that because they just sat in and hit us on the counter-attack at times and that, that was the, the problem we had in terms of trying to pick up points at that level. Sounds as if, Gordon, that you have some very clear ideas, even back as a player, 
about how football could and should maybe be played. Is it a challenge for a player sometimes to hear something, but you have to defer to managerial authority? Yeah, it is. It was, and, and, and I had a little problem at times with, in terms of with one or two of the managers because I didn't, I didn't necessarily agree with the the structure of the team in terms of how we set up. So that that's a it is a major pro- factor. But the thing is, that you always got to give them the credit because they 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 reign on the basis of of how they do in terms of the tactics and all that sort of thing and, and selection. You know, they they lose their job if it's not right. So you just have to go along with it and just say, well. It's their decision, and we have to just do our best with it. But at times, it can be an effect. I've been in, I've been in dressing rooms, to be honest with you, where the people have been saying, you know, oh, that, that's a wrong system we're playing today. That's a wrong way, you know. And you know, at times you wonder whether that's to a certain degree, you know, there's going to be a problem with that in terms of the players' attitude and and how much effort they're putting in because they just think it's, it's this guy's fault if we get beat today. So I, I don't, I don't care. Whereas I was always of the opinion of just saying. And first and foremost, as I said before, I just wanted to play as well as I possibly could personally. Personal performance was a big, big factor for me just to do my best. And if it, if it was the tactics were wrong, then obviously that's the manager's fault and you have to just go along with it. But I just I did do exactly what the manager wanted me to do. And as I say, it was, it was sometimes I didn't agree with it and sometimes I did give my opinion when I was asked for it. But it didn't always go down that well. Because, but I wanted to, to be into management myself. I was very much... I used to study closely what every manager was doing in terms of training and, and, and coaching, team selection, all that type of thing, even motivational talks. Just to so, say that later on in my career, when if I went into management, I was thinking, right, I'm going to use all this as, as basically the, you know, the, the information that I, I'd acquire in order to try and get the best when I become a manager. The grounding that you had with your studies while still at Kilmarnock, how big an influence do you think that had on, on your take on the football landscape. I think it is really good because you, you know getting educated like that that was you know just my mother's side of things she did it you know and uh, it was a funny thing was I mean we never mentioned this earlier on that I was actually um, in the first team at Kilmarnock when I was doing my hires at school so on a on a Saturday I'd be playing against Rangers or Celtic or whatever and then on a Monday I was in a classroom because I was doing my education and uh, one of my teachers at the school believe it or not was a PE teacher was George Maxwell how many times in history of the football world have a pupil and a teacher been in the first team of a major team <laughs> so that was a bit unusual that George and I were uh, were teammates at the time when we used my teacher so but I think I think a lot of the way education somebody once said you know that the education's a problem because it makes you think too much about football if you think about other things too much some people who just go out and play and don't think too much about it might find it a lot easier but as I say I was I was very conscious of what I was doing. I mean, I also think I was ambitious as well. I mean, a lot of people might say, well, well, you wanted to leave Kilmarnock. Some Kilmarnock fans were upset with me. And I thought, if I'm good enough, I will leave Kilmarnock because I, I do believe if I was if I was a manager of Kilmarnock tomorrow, I would want every one of my players to go to high level. Do you know why? Because then they would all be playing at their very best. They'd all be playing at high level because that means that they'll be attracting other teams and bigger teams to buy them, which means you're getting the best out of them. So I don't see anything wrong with someone who's ambitious and wants to move on to high level. Let's talk about a game when the team certainly did all pull together and uh, success was certainly achieved. Another game that you've highlighted that you are particularly proud of was a 6-1 victory against Air United. I played against Air a few times and scored goals against them and uh, got told that Ali McLeod had actually tried to get me for Air United when I was at Comara. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and he'd offered a couple of players and... and I thought to myself, there's no, and I did tell somebody who told me about it, I said, there's no way I would have gone there. Anyway, and uh, he, he was a bit annoyed about that, me saying that, maybe that 
was a big factor in, the, in not getting picked for Scotland in later years. But I said that, as I said, I think just after that, I think the first time we played Air United after that was at um, Somerset, and he'd actually I forget who I was playing against that day. But he said to me, he, did, he said to me early on, he says, "I have to sort you out today, Smith." You know, and I was like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "I'm going to, I'm going to sort you out." I'm gonna, you're not going to get a kick of the ball today. And I was like, oh, really? So <laughs> that's what he said. And then uh, we ended up winning 6-1. I think I made three or four of the goals that day. And I just I just had a laugh when I was going off the pitch at my opponent. And just saying, oh, that you did a great job today then. <laughs> but it was a great win. To, to beat here 6-1 was uh, a bit special when you're playing a derby game. And I think for a bit of context there as well, I think a few people listening to this coffee and tea might be spat all over the walls at the idea that Air United might be in a position to lure one of Comhonock's top players away, but that was a Premier League match. They were in the Premier League yeah. at that point. That's right, yeah. But I couldn't believe it. Somebody said to me, what are you, Aaron 18, want you to try to get you? And I was like, no chance. No way I would go there, you know. <laughs> Just talking about the Air United approach, which I'm sure was far less appealing than had you known about it, the approaches that are, are now well-known, not well-known to you at the time, but approaches from Manchester United yep. for, and, and from Rangers at an earlier point as well. How would you describe the role and the influence of clubs in the 1960s and obviously in your era in the 1970s? Well, somebody, somebody once said, you know, we were just like, you know, almost like football slaves in those days because we had no control over our careers at all. Because even though you're, it was an amazing thing, even your contract uh, did, did, it was, could be for one year, but the club did not need to release you. They had your, your registration was the main thing. Your contract was only a, a, an issue in terms of how much money they were paying you. So you, you couldn't leave. There was no freedom of contract there before Bosman. All that sort of thing. So nobody could do anything about it. And you know, and as you say, that this is only must have been about. I must have been retired already for about twenty years when um, Tommy Doherty at a dinner I was at one in Glasgow. He's talking in this dinner, and he suddenly goes, "Oh, there's Gordon Smith there. Nice to see Gordon. I tried to sign Gordon as Man United manager. I just couldn't believe it." So I went up afterwards and I said, "What you said there? Anyway, did you not know?" I said, "No." He said, uh, "You were nineteen years old." He said, "I offered a hundred thousand pounds for you, and it was a Friday." Comarnock agreed. They said, well, can we do the deal Monday and Gordon can play for us tomorrow and we'll do it Monday. And he went, oh, yeah, that's fine then, okay. And I said, what happened? He goes, well, I phoned back in the Monday. He said, you must have had a good game on the Saturday. I said, why? And he goes, when I phoned back in the Monday, they wanted more money. And Tommy Dog said, look, you agreed 100000 on Friday. That's the deal. And they tried to negotiate. And he said, if you don't stop this, I'm putting the phone down. And he said, they didn't stop trying to negotiate. He said, I just put the phone down on him and that was it. So there I am finding out after Reno being retired for about 15 years, I think, after retired, finding out that Man United tried to buy me when I was 19 years old, and nobody told me, nobody come on it. There was another one as well. What happened was, I always remember this, that Willie Fernie, uh, it, was a, it was in the papers that the Newcastle chief scout was there to watch me, and I felt I had a pretty good game, and it was in the papers. So I went to Willie Fernie on the Tuesday night in the train, and I said, I hear Newcastle were at the game on Saturday, and he went, yeah, they were. I said, watching me, he goes, well, I think the word is speaking, but I spoke to the guy and he said he, did, he didn't rate you, he didn't think you're good enough. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay. About two weeks later in the newspaper, the Newcastle guy had a piece in complaining about the money that clubs are looking for for players. Mm-hmm. He said, we even offered 75000 for uh, Smith at Kilmarnock, mm-hmm. young, young Smith, and Kilmarnock knocked his back. And, and Willie Fernandes told me that they, they didn't fancy me, you know? So you weren't, you weren't mm-hmm. getting the truth from clubs. Clubs never told you what was really happening. Do you feel lucky that you were able to get your move when other players, similar to Tommy McLean, I think there was a little bit of haggling there as well. Do you feel, yes. that, do you feel that you were maybe one of the lucky ones in that in that situation? I think I was. 
thought my chance there was, a, there was loads of talk about me moving on years before and I'm just thinking no one's interested no one's made a bid and, and so to a sudden when it happened I, I found it unbelievable because as I say I, I got, it was after the first game of the season I got a phone call I was in my office my job and I just started a new job as a market development manager for a company in Glasgow Willie Fernie phoned me he said where are you and I said I'm in Glasgow he says what are you doing I said I'm in my office he says are you near Ibrox I said yeah why he said just sold you the Rangers see you there in half an hour and I went along and Jock Wallace couldn't believe it and I shook hands with him and I stood up and he said thank welcome to the club he says that's taken a while I said what do you mean he goes I've been trying to sign you for the last four years did you know no <laughs> I said no I didn't I got to that age I just thought well you know if I was going to be bored it would have happened already and it didn't, it didn't happen it didn't stop me though in terms of one thing was the fact was it didn't mean I was going to change as a player and change my style or, or anything like that and I was always going to give my all every match for Comana. I wanted to do my best I wanted to maybe even prove people wrong that I thought if nobody's interested why they're not interested I'll, I'll show them type of thing so I was still motivated to do my best but I, I had no idea at that time that the, this interest had already been there and the clubs had been in for me and uh, as I say I, I just felt like you know it's one of these things that happens in football happened a bit later maybe maybe I wouldn't have one thing that did happen to me because I didn't get moved on I, I completed my degree and I did that and, I, and I, I started a job as a market development manager so maybe that sort of thing helped me after I gave up playing, the fact that I was a graduate and the fact that I'd been obviously in management from a very early age meant that I got more opportunities outside of football once I retired from playing. That first season in the second tier, what did you learn as a player potentially that you wouldn't have learned had you only played in the top flight for your whole career? What you learn is that the, the, the difference is at that level, we were going into most games as favourites. So you have to learn that's a mentality aspect of to get into a game uh, being expected to win. That I think that's a big a, a big crucial factor. And at, at Comana, when we were playing the lower division, we actually were, were favourites nearly every week, and it meant that we were the team that had to to you know open the other team up. A lot of the opposition sat in. A lot of them played defensively against us because we were a very attacking side. So in that respect, then it was it was good. And the fact was that I was I was playing uh, you know I was playing in the wing then, and I got used to playing in the wing. And it was the fact most of the time I, I enjoyed uh, taking people on and dribbling, and that that became very much more of my style when I played in the wing than I, than I was I was doing when I was midfield because the midfield and centre midfield I was concentrating more on my passing and, and bringing other people in. I wasn't dribbling as much as I was, so that dribbling aspect of the, the game helped me too in terms of develop, developing further. But I think that the the, the fact was we, we we went into that division just haven't been relegated. But we we did have a good season, and you know the two the two players as well that time that season. You know you look at the goals scored by Eddie Morris and Ian Fleming. That was a crucial aspect, and and being one of the wingers, you know you were expected to you know basically give them all the the, the you know the passes and the crosses and and create most of the goals, and and that's that helped too. I'll tell you a moment, it's, it's amazing. It was uh, I was playing at Cowden Beef, right, in a, in a, in a game where. Division down, and I got the ball in the halfway line. I got the ball passed to me in the halfway line. George Maxwell played it to me, and I was running forward with it. And players were coming into me, and I was dribbling. And what happened was, I just kept going. I'm still looking for a pass. I never forget it, but I just kept dribbling. I got into the box, and I scored. Now I'll tell you what was significant about that. It was the first time, and the last time in my whole career that the opposition players were clapping as I was running past them on my way back to the kickoff. I can believe that the opposition players were standing clapping. So that was a special moment. I thought 
I'll never forget that, you know. So that was at Cowden Beef. It never happened again. I scored a few crucial goals in my career, but never one when I can remember both sets of players were actually applauding when I was going back to the kickoff. I'll bet once the whistle went again, they had a couple of swipes at you. <laughs> Not half. <laughs> Paul Clark was the very first person we interviewed for the series, and it, although he didn't express it directly, I think there's maybe a little bit of regret about the lack of. Well, in fact, he said that you had actually tried to help him when you were at the BBC because he was in the opening credits of sports scene when he was doing the overhead kick off the line, and and the VT has been lost forever. There must be an element of regret that that period, particularly for Kilmarnock that the highlights just aren't there. No, that's upsetting. You know, you, you, you can't, there's nothing that can be shown, any goals I scored in those days or anything. Nothing, you know, no one's got anything on it. So you just, it's just memories you've got, you know, and it's great. It's great when you speak to the older players and, we, and things come up and you think, oh, I remember that, I don't, you know, because as I say, we're Ayrshire boys and we're friendly. I used to, uh, every after a match, there was four of us always went out with our girlfriends at that time. It was myself, Alan Robertson, Jim Stewart and Jim McSherry. Mm. We, we were a wee pally group, you know, I think we called ourselves the board at that time. So, <laughs> But uh, we used to be pals. So there was that element of it there was a kind of friendship there in fact it was like Ayrshire boys and, and going out so it was it was lovely to be there but as I say so much of the football and and you know as I say some of the, the fact that you sent me details of the seasons there to have a wee look at I thought that was great that because it reminded me of things that I'd forgotten completely about about certain players and who scored goals in certain games and all that so it was great to see that definitely was gone Word of mouth I think I just think it's such an important thing and to not have these clips is, it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating. Very frustrating. Ah, very frustrating. As I say, it's, it's just memories are, are, are all you've got. As I say, and you can't, you can't show anything and say, oh, I remember this goal I scored or that goal I scored, you know. As I say, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. As I say, it scored a few goals. I mean, that, that goal against Cowbeath was never going to be on TV, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, but there's a lot of things that you just go, wow, you know, I've I, I forgotten totally about that. Even the, that semi-final, I'd love to see that goal that was disallowed for us, that, that that night because mm-hmm. if, you, if you ever check that on that one Eddie, I think it was Eddie Morrison that scored mm-hmm. and the goal was disallowed and it was just, it was every, people saying afterwards as I said totally neutral people that were there said that was that the goal should never have been disallowed and that was very frustrating when we found that out you know but as I say I, it was great seeing it, all that again God, I really appreciate that stuff you sent through because as I say I was looking at it and I'm thinking oh, that's amazing like you know that, that game that game and that's why I, re- I realised that meant that, that win against Rangers was the first game that we'd won What a dream for any young footballer, to start out at a team packed with iconic figures of the Scottish game. Gordon Smith's journey would take him all the way to a goal-scoring appearance in an FA Cup final. But it all started at Kilmarnock, the club he and his grandfather served with distinction. Huge thanks to Gordon for spending time with me. Sincere thanks also to Paul Clark and the former Players Association for setting up this interview and to Kilmarnock FC historian John Livingston for the statistical background. The Killer History's Big Match series is a Right Half Communications production made in partnership with the Kilmarnock FC Former Players Association and the Killy Trust. Find out more at www.righthalf.co.uk and follow the series on Twitter at Killy Histories. The theme music, Clear Progress, by scottholmesmusic.com is used under free Creative Commons licence. Tune in again next week for the final episode of Series 3, and it's that old acquaintance of Gordon Smith, George Maxwell.
I'm Gordon Gillen. See you next time. said when I went over on Saturday, I never used to speak, I just go and sit beside them and listen and he goes, here's the ghost, here again, coming in, and then that's when somebody said, aye, Casper, that's how I got the nickname, aye, because I went, sat, I went, I was only sitting beside him and not speaking, they said I was a ghost, and it says in Wikipedia, Wikipedia, I get called, called that because I used to ghost past the centres, that is not the case, that's why I was called the ghost, because I used to, because uh, I used to sit and listen, because I was 14 years of age, in with these guys who are all like, heroes, major football players, Frank Beattie, Jack McGrory, Sandy McLaughlin, you know, all the guys that played in the league championship winning team, Andy King and all them, so as I say, it was, it was a great uh, education for me, that, that level, no doubt about it.